Good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing today? So awesome to be with all of you. I'm excited about um, this Advent season and everything that God has been doing at our church leading up to this and what he's going to continue to do um, through, uh, through this season as we um, you know, make the trek through Christmas and, and head into the new year. Um, it's really an exciting time to be a part of, of Christ's Walk. Um, coming on the heels of uh, our fifth Wednesday worship gathering this past week, which was just incredible, man. The power and the presence of the Lord was just here in a special way. I've already gotten some testimony from some folks about how um, they've been healed and the Lord just showed up in their life and, and, um, and moved in a mighty way. So I'm, I'm, I'm thanking God for that this morning. Um, we also uh, are celebrating uh, that yesterday uh, was our breakfast with Santa event here yesterday morning. And we had families from all over our community um, come, a number, like a number of faces that I've never seen before. And they were just um, eyes wide and smiles bright. And they were so excited to be here. Um, my highlight of the day was um, a little girl. She was maybe eight or nine years old. And um, she was sitting at a table that was right here. Um, and I, I was kind of milling around just make, uh, you know, making connection with people, and um, I was asking some of the kids about their experience and the games that they were playing, and the, um, you know, if they saw Santa, what they were wanting for Christmas, you know, stuff like that. And she looked at me right in my eyeballs, and she said, "You know what? I'd rate this place a ten out of 10. <laughs> and I thought, "Yep, that's why we did this event." And and I agree. I rate this place a ten out of ten, and I'm. I'm so thankful um, to be the pastor here and um, thankful for what God is doing here and thankful to all of you that, that you're a part of it. So uh, if you got your Bible, you got a smart device, why don't you turn with me uh, or swipe with me to the Old Testament. We're going to look um, in the major prophet book of Isaiah, chapter 26. We're going to land there um, in just a minute. But uh, before we do that, I got to know if, if you could have any Christmas gift. Um, as we are here now, I believe, what, 21 shopping days away from the big day? Uh, if you could have any Christmas gift this season, what, what would it be? Just think about that for a minute. Um, if this were 1996 and I asked you that question, there, there's a solid chance that your answer would be a Tickle Me Elmo doll. Tickle Me Elmo was released in July of 1996 with a supply of 400,000 units. And it all sold well and remained widely available in stores until the day after Thanksgiving when they suddenly sold out. And with the Christmas shopping uh, season approaching, Tyco Preschool ordered 600,000 more dolls to be produced from their suppliers. The scarcity of this new toy provoked a shopping frenzy. Two women were arrested in Chicago for fighting over the doll. In New York City, some people ran after delivery trucks hoping to get their hands on Elmo before it hit the store shelves. Um, someone allegedly purchased a Tickle Me Elmo for $7,100 in, in Denver, Colorado. Uh, KBIG in Los Angeles had a radio auction for charity in December of that year, where the winner purchased the Tickle Me Elmo for $18,500. It just shows people got more money than they got sense, y'all. <laughs> a clerk working at a Walmart store in New Brunswick, Canada, was among those injured by what the media dubbed Elmo Mania. 
During a midnight madness sale on December 14th, a crowd of 300 people stampeded down the aisle after spotting him being handed a box of the toys by another employee. Trampled, he suffered a pulled hamstring, injuries to his back, jaw, and knee, a broken rib, and a concussion. By the end of December, the entire stock of one million Tickle Me Elmos had been sold. And maybe this year your thing isn't a red furry doll that tickles or that lasts when you tickle it, but, but it's something. There's something at the top of your list today. Maybe it is a wad of cash or it's one of those new cars with the big red bow on the hood like we see in all the TV commercials around this time of year, or maybe it's a piece of jewelry or a video game console or some other newfangled technology. Perhaps it's something on a greater scale like a new job, or maybe it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife or a baby. You think to yourself, if I could just get XYZ, fill in the blank with whatever that thing is, well, then I'd finally be happy. You know, that, that's not really true, is it? Because at, at the end of the day, whether we realize it or not, what we're really searching for isn't that particular object. It's, it's not that specific situation. But it's the peace that we've convinced ourselves will come into our lives as a result of it. And, you know, after all, isn't that what the very first Christmas was all about? Peace. The angels came on the scene. We read about it in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. The night that Jesus was born, says suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God has pleased. Now, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when, when I read that passage, I wonder, when is this peace on earth those angels talked about. When's that ever going to happen? And today we're kicking off a brand new series. It's called Missing Peace, where over the course of this Advent season, we are going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about the subject of peace and how we can position ourselves to experience the peace of God, not just during the holidays, but, but all year long. And we're going to start in the book of Isaiah in chapter 26. We're going to read verses 1 through 4 together. It says, In that day, everyone in the land of Judah will sing this song. Our city is strong. We are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. The problem is that one glance at the world today, one, one look into uh, the depths of, of many of our own lives, the, the condition that, that we have, and it causes us to wonder this question together. Is peace even a possibility? 
So that's what I want to talk to you about today. And that starts with, with kind of the big idea of today that's not only going to be the foundation for this message today, but also the foundation for the remainder of this series. And the idea is very simple. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. It's this. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. It's found in the presence of God. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. It's found in the presence of God. And with that in mind, I believe there's five things that the Bible reveals to us about peace. Five things the Bible reveals to us about peace. The first one of those is the Bible reveals to us the purpose of peace. We look at our passage here in Isaiah, and there is a promise that comes along with it. He says, you will be kept in perfect peace. You know what, you and I, we're probably more accustomed to and familiar with imperfect peace, if we're being honest. Some of you are, are navigating circumstances and situations right now that, that they seem shaky and unstable at best. And if you were to tell the truth, you would say, Pastor Blake, it looks like in the midst of what I'm dealing with, in the burdens that I'm carrying, the thing that I'm going through, that God is nowhere to be found in the picture. And so if that's the case then, then what is this perfect peace that Isaiah is talking about? And that word peace, when you look it up in the Hebrew, it's, it's actually a word that many of us have probably heard before. It's the word shalom. And we often hear this, uh, you know, these days in, in like Jewish greetings and, and salutations. They will often uh, extend that word to others, shalom. But this word shalom, it's, it's not peace in, in the sense of just the absence of war or conflict. It's much greater, much broader, much deeper than that. It, it actually means wholeness, completeness, fullness, quietness of soul. It speaks to preservation. It is peace with God, peace with others, peace with self, peace with circumstances. It is the fullness of peace in every aspect of our lives. And in Isaiah's original writing in the Hebrew, the term perfect peace that we see there, it's actually written as shalom, shalom. The word is used twice, representing a, a double portion of peace. It's, it's this idea that, that God is not going to give us just a single helping of peace, but he is going to pour on the peace so much so that it's going to mound up and it's going to overflow off the sides of the plate, this double portion of peace that he has for us. But we have to first understand that, that even though that is the case, that's the guarantee that we are given in the scriptures that that doesn't mean that the car won't break down. That doesn't mean that you and your spouse are never going to fight. That doesn't mean that, that you're not going to lose your job or that the kids won't misbehave or that you won't lose a loved one. Peace doesn't mean that there's not going to be any problems in our lives. But what it does mean is that even in the midst of those problems, that you and I, we will be able to access the presence of God and we will be able to see things from his perspective. 
That's ultimately what shalom, shalom, what perfect peace is, is that no matter what we are facing, no matter what we are going through, that you and I, we are able to stand in God's presence. And then as a result, he, he allows us to, to put on some glasses that have lenses that see things the way that he sees them. And that is what invites his presence into our heart and into our lives. That is the purpose of peace for us to be able to see the situations and circumstances of our life from the presence and the perspective of God. The second thing the Bible reveals to us about peace is not only the purpose, but the perception of peace, the perception of peace. And I know what some of you may be thinking when we talk about this subject of peace, how, how in the world is it possible for me to have peace when my marriage is on the rocks or when my, my child is addicted to drugs? How can I possibly experience God's peace when I've received a negative report from the doctor or I'm unable to pay my bills? How can I experience God's peace when I've been betrayed by a friend or when I'm failing the class or when I didn't get chosen for the promotion, when the deal falls through? How can I experience peace in the midst of all of that? We could go on and on and on with a list of all of the things you and I are facing, the things that we are struggling with right now and wonder how in the world, in the middle of all of that, are we able to experience this perfect peace that Isaiah talks about. Look at what he tells us in, in verse 3 there. He says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all those whose thoughts are fixed on you. And that word fixed in the Hebrew, it's actually the word samak. And it means to lean on completely, to fully rest oneself. It, it, it means to sustain or to refresh or to revive. Ultimately, what it is, it's, it's an anchor point, which then becomes our point of reference. And the truth today is, is that some of us don't have peace in our lives because we've connected ourselves to the wrong anchor point. We've anchored ourselves to our situation or our circumstances, which are in a constant state of flux, rather than anchoring ourselves to our Savior, who the Bible says is the same yesterday, today, today and forever. And, and Paul, Paul echoes this sentiment in his letter to the Philippians when he writes this. In chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent, and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. And so what we see here is that the, the battle for peace begins in our mind. The, the battlefield on which this war is being waged is the one that is between our ears. And, and there's an order for things to take place here. First, we fix our thoughts, we, we fix our mind on the proper things, and then the God of peace will be with us. 
We have to first fix our thoughts on what is right and proper and true. And then, once we've done that, God's peace will enter into our hearts and lives in the midst of that situation. The truth is, it's hard for the God of peace to be with you when you are everywhere but with him. See, it's, it's not that he keeps moving, but it's that we keep moving. He's constant. And he's saying, I I want you to anchor yourself to me. I want to be the resting place. I want to be the thing that you completely and totally lean on. I want to be your place of of, of rest and and provision and, and revival. But yet we anchor our life to all of these other things, thinking they're going to provide us peace. And all they do is tug us further and further and further away from the one anchor point that can bring peace to us. And so this morning, we need to consider our anchor point. The thing that you've anchored your life to in this moment, in the midst of whatever it is that you're facing today, the question becomes, is it, is it true or is it false? This morning, is, is your anchor point, is it honorable or is it corrupt? Is it right or is it wrong? Is it, is it pure or is it tainted? The thing that you have decided to anchor your life to, to, to fix your thoughts, your intentions upon, is it lovely or is it unpleasant? Is it admirable or despicable? Is it excellent or inferior? Is your anchor point this morning, is it, is it something that is worthy to be praised or is it something that is worthy of disrespect? Here's what Pastor Craig Rochelle says. He says, our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. And so this morning, if, if you find yourself lacking peace, then it might be time to change what you're fixing your thoughts on. And then go from there. The Bible talks about the purpose of peace, the perception of peace. Number three, the Bible reveals to us the principle of peace. The principle of peace. Continuing in Philippians chapter four, uh, with verses six and seven, Paul writes, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And so it's here in in these two verses that, that Paul gives us a model for how to experience peace in our life. And it's it's three simple steps. It starts with step one: don't worry. Don't worry. I recently read a story about J. Arthur Rank, who was an English executive who decided that he was going to do all of his worrying on one day a week. He chose Wednesdays. When anything happened that gave him anxiety or annoyed his ulcer, he would write it down and put it in what he called his worry box, and he would forget about it until the next Wednesday. And the interesting thing is that When on the following Wednesday, he would open his worry box, he found out that that most of the things that had disturbed him over the past six days had already been settled. 
They'd already taken care of themselves. There's all, they'd already figured a way for things to be worked out. And that it would have been useless for him to worry about them in the first place. Here's what Corey Ten Boom says about worry. She says, worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but rather it empties today of its strength. So don't worry. Then I know what you're thinking. Like, if, if we're not going to worry, well, then what do we do? The Apostle Paul says that, that don't worry, and he says the next step, step number two, is to, to pray. Well, pray about what? Well, it's simple. Pray about everything, anything and everything. There is nothing that is too insignificant for us to go to the presence of our Father with. There's nothing too insignificant for us to pray about and to bring to his attention. And the truth is, is that if peace is found in God's presence, then, then you and I, we need to get into his presence by getting onto our knees. That's what's going to bring us into his presence so we can experience his peace. And then once we get on our knees and once we enter into the presence of God through the, the avenue, through the vehicle of prayer, then step number three is that we thank God. We bring thanksgiving into the equation. So instead of worrying, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray with, with a thankful heart. And what happens is, is that thanksgiving causes us to focus on the things that we do have and the blessings that we have received instead of focusing on the things that we lack and the blessings that we have yet to receive. And, and this kind of attitude and approach somehow has a way of causing the worries of life to fade into the background because it serves as a constant reminder to us of the track record of God's goodness and faithfulness to his people. And Paul says the end result of choosing to live this way is that our hearts and minds will be guarded by the peace of God. And so that means that, that you and I will then be able to experience his peace because we know that he is good and that his promises are true and that his word never fails. We will be able to experience his peace because we know that he will never leave us or forsake us. We will be able to experience his peace because we will discover that when we lose our way, he is our guide. We will be able to experience his peace because we will learn that when we are weak, he makes us strong. We will be able to experience his peace because we will find that when we are hurting, he is our comfort. And we can experience his peace because we will see that there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from his love. That is the hope that we have this morning when we face the difficulties and adversities of our lives. That we can experience his peace because of his track record, goodness, and faithfulness to his people. The purpose, the perception, the principle of peace. Number four, the Bible reveals to us the promise of peace, the promise of peace. Jesus said himself in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 27, he said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. There was a study conducted by the former president of 
the Norwegian Academy of Sciences, and historians from the countries of England, Egypt, Germany, and India. And in the midst of this study, they came up with some startling information. Since the year 3600 BC, the world has known only 292 years of peace. During that period, there have been 14,351 wars, both large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed, and more than 8,000 peace treaties have been both made and broken. The value of the property destroyed during that time would pay for a golden belt to be wrapped around the world 97.2 miles wide and 33 feet thick. And when I read that particular, uh, those, those statistics, I couldn't help but think about the 1980 movie starring John Travolta, Urban Cowboy. Yes, my mind is a very scary place to be. But the soundtrack of that movie featured a song by a recording artist by the name of Johnny Lee. That song was called Looking for Love, where he sang about looking for love in all the wrong places. And I got to thinking, you know, it's not just love that we're looking for in all the wrong places. A lot of us, we are looking for peace in all of the wrong places. The place that we can find it, it's, it's been there right in front of us the whole time, but because we've chosen to not focus there and we've instead focused over here thinking that maybe peace will come from this or, or we've focused over here that maybe peace is going to come from this thing or this experience or, or, or this, this uh, possession or whatever it is and we've missed finding true peace because we've been looking for it in all the wrong places. And since I'm on kind of a, a, a kick with songs, I think instead of looking for peace in all the wrong places, instead we need to take a cue from the words that DC Talk sang in their 1995 song, Like It, Love It, Need It, on the much acclaimed Jesus Freak album, where they sang, you'll never find peace of mind in your pool of self. You'll never find peace of mind in a sea of wealth. You'll never find peace of mind in your rock and roll. You'll never find peace of mind if you sell your soul. You'll never find peace of mind in your lucky charm. You'll never find peace of mind on a hippie farm. You'll never find peace of mind in a one-night stand. You'll never find peace of mind in your Superman. You got to like it. You got to love it. I know you need some freedom from this strife. You got to like it. You got to love it. I know you need some Jesus in your life. Make no mistake about it. The one and only place you and I will ever find peace is in Jesus Christ. The good news for us today is that, that Jesus, he didn't say that, that he would give us just any old peace. He didn't say that he was going to give us a peace. He didn't say that he was going to give us some peace. No, he said, the gift I give to you is my peace. It is the peace that belongs to him. And, and he, he gives it to us as a gift. And, and the good news about that is that since the world didn't give it to us, guess what? The world can't take it away from us either. 
That is the promise that you and I can cling to today. And when, when we realize the purpose, the, the perception, the principle, and the promise of that peace, and when, when we wrap our arms around that gift of peace that Jesus offers us, it's then that we will discover what the Bible reveals to us as the power of peace. The power of peace. A well-known passage to a lot of us in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. It reads, On that day, when evening had come, he, being Jesus, said to them, his disciples, Let's go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? A few observations as I bring this message to a close. In the midst of one of the most terrifying moments in the lives of the disciples, Jesus was taking a nap. If he's not worried, then we shouldn't be either. If he's not worried, then we shouldn't be either. See, we get to focus on the, the wind and the waves and the, the water spilling over into the boat and everything, and, 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 and Jesus is asleep. That somebody, you, you need to take solace in the fact that that he's not up in heaven right now chewing his fingernails in the, into the quick trying to figure out how he's going to make a way in your situation. He's already got it covered. He's not sweating it. In the midst of your greatest difficulty, he's sleeping it off. He's fine. So if he's not worried, we don't need to be worried either. And here's what you need to know this morning. Whatever it is that you are facing today, he is not worried about it. He's not worried about it. So you don't need to worry either. The second observation is that in this passage, there, there are really two storms that are taking place. There's, the first one is external. It's, it's the wind and the rain and the waves. The second one is, is internal. It's the one that caused the disciples to doubt. They said, Jesus, don't you care about us? Right? Don't, don't you care that we are about to die? It's those kinds of storms when we face those things in our life that it causes us to call things into question that, that our Heavenly Father, that He doesn't care about us and that He's left us to fend for ourselves. We need to be reminded that He is Emmanuel, that He is God with us. He's up close and personal. He has invaded our space and our territory. They're saying, don't, don't you care that we are about to die? And, and what we see here is that it's, it's often the internal storms that are exponentially worse than the external ones. 
But what this passage shows us is that whether it's internal or external, whatever storm we're facing in our life, Jesus has control and power over both of those. And when he said, peace be still that day, I don't believe he was just talking to the wind and the waves. I think he was also talking to his followers and and ultimately to you and me. So somebody here today needs to hear those simple words. Peace. Be still. He's not worried. He's got it under control. The third observation is this. Is that it's easy for us to praise God and lean into his peace when everything is going well. But I think what the disciples discovered that day is that that real praise takes place in the middle of life's storms. And so if you want to make the devil spitting mad, then I encourage you to rest in the peace of Jesus no matter what life brings your way. If you want to be the kind of follower uh, of, of Jesus that sends demons to flight, then I encourage you today to stand firm in God's peace whenever they attack. That is what shalom, shalom looks like. Perfect peace is that no matter what comes my way, I'm going to rest in the gift of peace that is afforded me through Jesus Christ. I'm going to remember that peace isn't found in the absence of problems, but that it's found in the presence of God. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come lead us in worship to seal this word in our hearts. And as they do, our response this morning is to simply invite the presence of God into our life. And lean in to the peace that only he can bring. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the gift of his peace that we are given. Lord, I pray that you would, not just today, not just through this Advent season, but at all times that you would help us to lean into your presence. And that when we do, that there, instead of worry, we would let go of our worry and doubt and we would take hold of the gift of peace that you have promised us. Lord, I pray that you would flood your people with your peace in and through their heart and lives and whatever it is that they're facing today your peace would be their firm foundation in the midst of the storm. We give you the glory, the honor, the power, and the praise, and we welcome your presence into this place and into our heart and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.